Good morning. Good morning. Hi. <clears throat> Not sure I'll need this mic. Uh, of all the things, oh, you're taping. Okay, well then I'll keep it on. Of all the things that have been said over me over the years, uh, I have never heard anyone say uh, I had trouble hearing you. Um, I'm going to have her just really quickly show um, the PowerPoint that, that I sent uh, for the sermon. And just so that you know that I really did uh, send something, um, then I'm going to have her take it off because I felt like the Lord changed my direction completely. And so my apologies to the lady who spent hours turning it from PowerPoint to whatever program it was. Uh, I want you to know that was not intentional um, this morning, but uh, no, I promise it wasn't. Uh, between my state office work, I, I'm a Mac guy, and personally, uh, as you see my iPad, I do just about everything that way, but our regional office does everything through Word, and so I have two different computers, and so I am constantly formatting stuff back and forth. Um, to make sure that everything is good to go. And so surely I would never do that to you, sister. Um, and I will promise that uh, I will try to be brief with you. I know you can smell uh, food. And so I understand um, that uh, that smells good to you um, this morning. And I will tell you that I do come from a different culture, if you haven't already noticed with my accent. So uh, I tend to get a little animated uh, I'm from the South, and so uh, I tend to get a little bit loud too, so hopefully the, the sound booth uh, people will, will be able to negotiate and fix that. Uh, bring it on, she says. Okay. Uh, so I, I do want to change. I, I had thought about this and thought about this, and there were so many ways, and of course the pastor and I had, had discussed not about specifics, but just about kind of what his vision was for this morning. And so I had had another passage of Scripture and was going to talk about um, the focus that we should have in our community and what should we should do as a church and, and how really the responsibility of us as men and women, children of, of God, hasn't changed very much from, from Adam and Eve. And so that was my original intent and, and we were going to talk about what our job is and uh, our function uh, in the body. But I just really felt uh, in sitting there that the Lord kind of just changed my directions and it's, it's not that I don't want to, to honor um, that desire or those wishes, but I really felt like the Lord uh, has done this. And I, and I want to just share a really simple thought with you this morning. And it's, uh, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, uh, that's not a hard book um, to find. Um, and I apologize that they won't be up there for you on the screen, but they couldn't have possibly been because I wasn't given to them. Might be, okay. We're going to do the first five verses. And actually, as a matter of fact, if this sermon had a title, it would be the first five verses. Uh, my attempt for you this morning is to show you that the Bible constantly repeats itself, but if I can say it this way, the synopsis of the whole Bible is found in the first five verses of Genesis. My story is found in the first five verses of Genesis. Your story is found in the first five verses of Genesis. The story of this church is found in the first five verses of Genesis. The stories of my church 
in snowy Grand Forks. I, I left a little bit earlier this morning because I thought, well, you know, the roads might be bad and literally not five minutes outside of Grand Forks, there was nothing. Uh, and the further south I got, the less there was. Uh, I left eight inches of snow and roads covered um, this morning uh, from yesterday in about a 60 mile an hour wind last night, um, So, uh, which made the roads... Uh, a little, little sketchy coming out of Grand Forks this morning. But we can find this constant cycle, if you will, that's found in the first five verses of Genesis. And so if you'll allow me this morning, I just want to offer you some encouragement this morning. I, I want to speak to you about this, that if you're in a difficult season, before I read any of this, I, I want to share with you with something, and, and I think it is very, very true. It has often been said that we all know about storms in our life, and the reason we know about being in storms in our life is because all of us are either currently in a storm, just left a storm, or unbeknownst to us, we're about ready to enter a storm. So whenever we talk about difficult situations in our life and struggles in our life, we can all identify because we're either there, have just recently been there, or we'll soon be there. And so I want to offer some hope to you this morning that if you're looking in your life, if life is difficult or ministry is difficult or opportunities are less or, or there's more month, if I can say it this way, all right, at the end of your money, if there are situations and circumstances in your life, I want you to know that it's not uncommon. God, God's not lost on what's going on in your life. He doesn't wonder what's going on in the world. You know, we can have a tendency, right, if we watch news and watch world events right now, we could get gloom and doom. Come on, there, there's a fad right now in the church, right, where we're going to try to scare and intimidate people, right, by telling about everything that's going to happen in Revelation and places to come. Now, I'm not here to, to be against biblical prophecy at all. And, and I realize that the church has its issues, and I'll be honest with you, I realize that American culture has its issues. But I also know this, that even though Revelation promises that the world will go worse and worse and the love of many will grow cold and all of those great things, I know this too. I know that Joel chapter 2 promises that in the last days He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Now, I, I minister to everywhere, since we're going to be doing young adult retreat, I minister from everywhere from the X generation to the millennial generation. From Kids Fest all the way to young adult for the region. And so I know all the statistics. I know that my son at six, I know that his generation, they say less than 4% of them will ever darken the doors of a church. And even less than that will actually become part of the church. I realize all those statistics. And you know what? All of those numbers can look really bad, except for this one fact. Two little words. But God. Because I can tell you in our region alone, in just our little senior high camp, just our little senior high camp, 59 kids, 12 teenagers received a call into ministry this past year in our youth camp. Nine of those kids are involved currently right now, pastors that I talk to that are on my youth board or on our original, nine of those kids are currently serving in some capacity in ministry in their local church right now as we speak. 
So there is a future and there is a hope. And so the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1 read as follows. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was a light. And God saw the light and that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. I want to talk to you about five things that happen in this story. They happen in your story, they happen in my story, and they will continue to happen as long as we live on this earth. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to get really comfortable. I don't, I don't do the whole behind the pulpit type thing. So I, I'm going to come out here if, if that's okay. And, and I think I, I know this one well enough to, to know that I can stay away from that. But you can, you can give me a little leadway if, if I don't. But the first thing that we learn from this first passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 that we find, God is constantly in the process of creating new things. Some of you missed a good chance to say amen. Because if you are in a really rough spot where things are not going so well and, and the bills aren't getting paid and you're not getting opportunities in ministry or this or that or, or life is a struggle or situations or circumstances are going on, I've come to bring you some hope this morning and the fact is, is this, is that God is never ever finished with creating things in our life. Now in this passage of scripture we find that he creates heaven and earth. And isn't that awesome that he creates everything that we've seen? I've always wondered, we know that scripture says that he who says there's no God, he's foolish. We, we know all those passages of scripture. But I've always wondered how. You know, can I just share with you, in West Virginia everything's mountainous. As a matter of fact, 80% of our state is forest and mountains. And so, so we, we, we can't see. We don't, we don't have a lots of visibility. Okay, we, we, we don't see storms come in. You hear them. There's a thing in West Virginia. You hear them on the ridge. That's what you do. You hear rain hitting the trees. And, and it's a really fun game when you're a kid guessing how many ridges away it is. And, and we would play a fun game. How, how long will it be until the rain hits, right? And we go sit on the front porch and see how, how many ridges away is it, you know? And, and so we do get snow in West Virginia. We don't get the cold that you get. And so I kind of like driving in snow, though, when it's, the roads are flat because we don't have that in West Virginia. Everything is this way. But one of the most amazing things for me and my wife when we got here is... The fact that, A, the sun hardly ever sets, it seems like, uh, in the summer here. Y'all, your daylight, it just lasts for forever. And it's, uh, a lot of it has to do with the, the landscape and all of those things and, and the beautiful colors that, that we see because we, I'm sure they exist in West Virginia. We just can't see them because all the mountains. We don't ever have more than about 50 yards of visibility. <laughs> And so when, when you, you see it and, you know, and it, 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 it's just beautiful and it goes on forever, I look at those and I wonder how someone can look at creation and they can look at creation and they can see all the beauty that God has made and yet still deny His existence. It, it always amazes me to, to look at it, you know. When we were traveling not too long ago, I think we were coming back from, from an event and sometimes traveling is involved in my schedule and we were coming back from this event and it was like 10.30 and still daylight in the summer and that's just a new, new thing for us mountain 
West Virginia people. We, we don't see that very often. And, and we were just looking at the collars of my wife. We were stopping and taking pictures. And, and, I, and I often wonder, but you know what? Creation in, in the Bible, this creation, it was created once. And the scripture says it will long with creation pangs until Jesus comes back to the earth. Do you realize that? In, in Romans chapter 8, part of what comes true in Revelation, hurricanes and floods and, and the lacks of seasons, they do that, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, because they long for the redemption of Jesus Christ. But do you know, he created all of those things and they were beautiful and gorgeous, but they fell in comparison to the one thing he created that could give him adoration back by choice. You see, in Romans chapter 8, we find out, and Jesus even says this, that God can make the rocks cry out. Nature can cry out in worship to God because it is a mechanism, He who created it. But He created you and I, and it is voluntary on our part. Do you know there's nothing more beautiful in all the world to the ears of God than when His people, His chosen people, created by Him, call out to Him. You see, we find from creation that he distinguishes man from every other creation because here's what he does with man. It is the only part. Notice how beautiful a sunlight, the sunrise is. Notice how beautiful the mountains are. Uh, over the summer, me and my wife got to experience Yellowstone for the first time ever and seeing all the beauty and majesty that's found in that great part. But notice this. God never put a part of himself into any of that. But scripture makes it very clear that he breathed the breath of God into the nostrils of Adam and literally put a part of himself into Adam. Creation will not behold the face of God and say, it is like God. But Paul said, I shall not know what I will be like, but I know that when I look upon his face, I will be like him. So we know that he doesn't recreate creation. We know he's not gonna recreate a new moon and a new sun. But we do know that in our own life, do you know that God's constantly creating new opportunities for you? He's constantly creating. Listen, if you'd have told me 14 months ago that I was gonna be the youth and discipleship director in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana, I'd have probably told you you were crazy. Now, I just moved 13 months ago, so I'm talking about if you'd have just told me a month before this happened, I would have probably laughed at you and told you you were crazy. I knew that I was called to this, and I felt confident someday God was gonna give me an opportunity, but I walked away from General Assembly, and the only text that I got from David Bear was, I don't have anything for you right now. You're on my list. And I don't even know what that really means. <laughs> And so I found myself getting this awesome opportunity, moving my family 1,400 miles from everything they know to a place where we knew nobody. <laughs> Finding out three weeks before I was supposed to be here that I didn't have anywhere to live because somehow in communication that had gotten lost. <laughs> I was under the impression there was a parsonage and there wasn't. So finding somewhere to live going through the process and all the different things. But God's always creating new opportunities for us. He's always creating new seasons for us. He's always taking us out of seasons. If you're in a place right now where there's trouble, can I give you some, can I give you some real awesome, awesome hope this morning? That trouble always has an expiration date. Amen. 
there may be struggles in your life, there may be problems in your life, but just like the milk in your refrigerator, it has an expiration date. And he who knows the expiration date loves to create new opportunities. And it's one thing if God just always took us out of trouble, but whenever he takes us out of trouble, he never takes us out of a valley where he doesn't put us on a mountain. So the, pro, the, the, the great thing about God is, is that not only does he give us new seasons and new opportunities and new situations in our life, but they've always meant to bless us. And not only that, our valleys are always meant to increase in our life. So we find ourselves, right? This passage of scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so he's always, always constantly in a process of creating new things in our life. But not only that, he brings new people into our lives and out of our lives. Now, I'm just going to get a little pastoral for you because I do a dual role. Uh, and I'm sure the pastor here and those of you that are involved in ministry and, and those of you that are going to probably soon be involved in ministry, it's really easy sometimes when people walk out of our lives that, that we feel have a specific function and importance in our life and we can get our, our hearts broken. And we can be sad and we can be broken. As a young pastor watching people who gave and, and were part of a ministry and had sometimes the, the silliest excuses, got up and walked out of the church, it's, it's easy for us to understand. And it's easy for us to get into a situation where we're heartbroken and, and, and things are bad. But I've learned this, is that for every person that walks out of your life, the first thing I learned is, is that not everybody's tied to my destiny. I can want them to be, I can hope that they can be, but it doesn't mean that they are. So sometimes people just, just walk. Now there are other times in our life, right, when people walk and we rejoice, don't we? Amen. Is that too real? Uh, sometimes I get that from behind the pulpit, right? There are some people that walk and as soon as the door closes, right out of your life, right, you rejoice, uh, right? You say amen, thank you Jesus, right? Amen. Hallelujah, right. that person has went on. But then there are other times when we're broken, but we learn that even in the times when people leave our life and we're broken and, and we're disgusted and we're frustrated, God always sends new people to fill the void in our life. You see, when Ruth lost her, lost her husband, God gave her Naomi. And when Naomi lost her husband and her sons, Ruth became Naomi's escape from all the pain and punishment in your life. Listen to me. Are you understanding that? Is that you never know that in your deepest, darkest place, Ruth came to Naomi. Sometimes in our life when people walk out of our life, God sends someone who will become the most pivotal part of our life. So we have new people in and out. And then I'm just going to really, really, hopefully, or destroy your theology this morning. But believe it or not, when God creates opportunities in our life, often He sends new challenges into our life. Uh, you know, that's not really popular with the prevailing emerging grace uh, theology that's going on in American Christianity, right? Where, you know, Jesus died for all your sins so you can just live like the devil if you want to and it's okay. Now, I'm here to tell you that there is an aspect that God requires people to live by which is called holiness. And we have to live by holiness. We have to understand that God has a way in which He calls the people of God to live. 
But God often in our lives, can I, can I share something with you that I really think Pentecostals, uh, uh, you know, I am one. I love to be, I'm not unashamedly Pentecostal at all. I am who God called me. I am fourth generation church of God on one side, third generation on the other. I don't know anything else. I don't know how to be anything else. I'm a PK. I've grown up in this thing all of my life. But listen to me. Don't always think that all difficulty in your life is demonic. There you go. I want to tell you something that most difficulty in your life is developmental. And there is a big difference between those two things. If we can ever learn that often God sends difficulty into our life to help us grow up and expand. And then often, you know, gold cannot be purified unless it's first put under severe heat and pressure. In West Virginia, one of the things that makes our economy grow in West Virginia is coal. Coal is only produced under extreme heat and pressure. I'm here to tell you that sometimes God literally brings new challenges to your life, but I want to end this first point by saying this, that God is always, always in the process of creating in our life. Do you want to know what the second verse in this scripture teaches us? It teaches us that God is always creating something out of nothing. You You see, you may be here this morning and say, I've got no money. It's okay. I don't have a pedigree, Pastor J.D. It's okay. I, I don't have the upbringing. It's okay. Can I tell you a story about the first church of God pastor that I had once I gave my life back to Jesus? His name was, and I, you can't make this up, his name was Brother Hand. Brother and Sister Hand. Now I'm just going to be as honest as I can be with you about Brother Hand. Hey, Sister Hand was as, as, as elaborate and as outgoing as you could think. And you just got to know in the South how, how this was different when, even when I was a teenager. She had long, long fingernails and fake eyelashes, and she was a really, really great vocalist, but you just have to understand the church that she came into, she kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. She was a wonderful lady, gifted lady, all of those things, but now her husband, I'm just being honest with you, we we had a men's breakfast where where some of the young men and young adults of the church would would hang out, and and we played softball and basketball, we did all these things together, and and the pastor would have this moment we would come, and I'm just being honest with you, he had about as much personality as that table. (laughs) He, he, he... He, he didn't have any interest. He didn't have any hobbies outside of the church. He, he, he didn't talk. He, he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't nothing like me. I, I, I am as high eye personality as you can come, as outgoing. Uh, at, at our camp, all the people were like, man, you're out there playing games and laughing with kids. I, I just can't help it. It's just who I am and, and what I do. I, I laugh a lot. I, I don't believe Christians ought to be miserable. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be happy. I, I was baptized in holy water and not vinegar, and I just don't like to be compared to people. I'm not hateful. I don't want. I don't want the people in my church saying, "Oh yeah, the guy who never smiles, he's my pastor." When I'm out in the community, I want to be full of life. I want to be all of those things. But Brother Hand was none of those things. 
And I remember the first time that I met him and you just have to understand that my dad was a lot like me and he had no interest, he didn't talk, he ate his breakfast, he was quiet, he had all these things and I thought, how in the world is this guy gonna preach? How in the world is this guy going to, to get up behind a pulpit and, and, and bring energy and bring life in, in, into the pulpit? But I'll never forget that something magical would happen for Brother Hand every time, Norman Hand, every time, that su- every Sunday morning as I, as I went there and as I grew up under his ministry, somehow he would just be as calm and quiet and polite and all the things that he was, but somehow from walking from here in front of the church to up here, behind the pulpit, some radical transformation would come and the same guy who never said a word, who who never seemed to have any type of life or personality would get up behind the pulpit and it was like some kind of crazy wild man. He would preach and stomp and sweat and he was funny and he was comical and he was all of those things and all of a sudden young people started to get saved like crazy and young adults and alcoholics started giving their life to Jesus and giving up alcohol. I never seen anything like it in all my life and I learned then and there that God can take something that the rest of everybody else would think is useless and completely out of its element and he can put the Holy Spirit on it and radically change it for the good. And you know what I find out from this scripture is that God specializes in taking nothing and making something significant out of it. You see, how do you know that? It says the earth was without form. Full, it, was, it was void. There was nothing. But I love this. You say, how can God make, make something out of nothing? I'm glad you asked because in the second part of this verse, it tells you how he does that. The Holy Spirit. It said the Spirit of God moved on the earth and suddenly everything that was nothing became everything you and I see. You want to know how else I know that God can take a nothing and make something out of it is because the person you see in front of you this morning was a nobody that God made a somebody. Now I'm not everybody's somebody and I'm not a lot of people's somebody. But to a few people, God has given me the privilege to be somebody to them. This morning, I want you to know that not only does, first of all, God love to create new opportunities, new seasons, and new challenges, but he loves to take difficult situations and make something awesome. The third verse teaches us how God goes about doing this. Not only is it the Holy Spirit, but I want to, I want to share with you. God begins every creation cycle in our life and creating something out of nothing. He begins it with just one word. Can I challenge somebody here this morning? Maybe you've been praying and believing a scripture that God gave to you five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, thirty years ago. Can I tell you something? Stand on that word that God has given you. Because the scripture says it didn't say that God put some items together. Science says, wants to say that he did, right? <clears throat> the four atoms would just, that never exist by the way, singular, that we know of. Those four items just happened to all of a sudden exist in singular form. And then they existed in singular form, although they don't 
in any part of nature that we know of. Those four items would just somehow get the right environment and the right situation and the right circumstance. And those four items would just somehow cultivate and first create a single cell organism. And then over time, those single cell organisms would continue to expound until the moment came that we, we became humans. Or if you don't subscribe to that particular theory, maybe you prescribe to another theory that says that there was just utter chaos and somehow, out of utter chaos, without any motivation from external forces, that chaos all collided and then somehow how chaos collides, all of a sudden all order was produced from the collision. Just a question for you. Has anybody here ever seen two cars hit each other on the highway and suddenly after they collided be perfectly brand new? Has anybody ever seen that? Have you ever heard somebody come in and say, well, I rear-ended somebody and suddenly when I got out of the car, I had a five-year newer car than I did before and it was perfect. No. We didn't have to call insurance or the police or nothing. Everything, right, right. We, we, we prescribe the theories that, that are absolutely absurd and that, believe it or not, science itself doesn't even back up. Right now, science will tell you that the earth has never, never been close enough to collide. As a matter of fact, our universe is continuously expanding. It's the exact opposite. But we know that all of it began from nothing. It began because God said, light be. It's a bad translation in English. He doesn't say, let there be light. He says, light be and it was. Can I tell you something? Every promise in the word of God that God says for the believers, God spoke it once, it's sealed forever. Jesus said heaven and earth, everything we know will pass away, but the word of God will never ever pass away. Listen to me this morning. If there's a scripture you've been believing and you've been praying, I've come to challenge you this morning that all it takes is God's word. If you need a financial breakthrough, all it takes is God's word. If you need a healing, all it takes is God's word. If you need revive this morning, all it takes is God's word. People think I'm crazy. I've even had some Christians think I'm crazy. I believe that the word of God has the power to create in your life. And I believe that when you pray it and declare it, and I've gotten in trouble for this before. But listen, we've even found out now that it's even more of a miracle. But my son is a miracle. There are complications on her side and complications on my side that the doctors would say, or they wouldn't say there's no chance, but there's a slim chance. But one day after my son came, we'd been praying, we'd been believing, we'd doing all those things. I was sitting in my office and this is just too much for some people because they believe, oh no, no, it's ultimately up to God. I really believe that God put, he said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. 
He gave us the ability to speak into our atmosphere and by faith believe that God would do it for us. And I was sitting in my office and God told me, he said, your son is here because you had the capacity to believe my word. I would pray children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord. I prayed it over and over again. Listen, I've come this morning to encourage you that not only can God give you new seasons, new opportunities, new blessings, and not only does he do it, he creates something out of nothing, but he does it by his word. Amen. The fourth verse teaches us, you know what it teaches us? It says he divided light in the day and dark in the night. You know what that teaches us? God wants you to be distinctive. Can I tell you something? This is... This, is, this has about this much political correctness in it because I could care less. God did not call us to be like the world or of the world or indistinguishable from the world. God called us to be unique Separate, holy. We are called to be light in a world of darkness. My background obviously is in youth ministry and I used to be amazed at kids who would cry out, well, I just want to be different, I want to be different. And everybody they hung out with looked like them, acted like them, listened to their music and did their activities. It's not real popular anymore, but when I was a youth pastor, goth was really, really popular, right? So I'm really unique. I'm all wearing the scorching heat in the south, in the humidity, when it's 85 and feels like 175. I'm all wearing my black trench coat and my black makeup, and I am so unique, and yet they would be surrounded by five people who look just like them, acted just like them and did everything they did. I used to challenge kids, you want to be completely unique in your high school? Serve Jesus with all of your heart. You'll be unique. You'll stand out. You see, even the world, we, right, we, we, we have to, listen, their whole philosophy for accepting things that people who believe in the word of God shouldn't accept, their whole adaptation of that is what? Is that we need to be like everybody else. Listen, God made you unique. You know what? It's hard to believe looking at me now, but many pounds and many years ago, I was a pretty good athlete. And as a matter of fact, at one time as a coach, I had the esteemed privilege in West Virginia to win a state basketball championship as a, as a coach. One of the coolest honors for me in sports. But you know what? 
as good a basketball player and probably was, basketball was my passion, baseball was my better sport. As good as I was, there would probably be very few occasions where I was even the best person on my team, much less the best person in the conference or in the region. I went to college and then the talent pool, you know, ever increases. I went on a Division three baseball scholarship and only played one year and I was probably never going to see the field. Talent pool was that great. You know, I could never say I was the greatest. But you know, there is one thing that I can say I'm the greatest at in the world. I am the best at being J.D. Wall than anybody else in the world can ever be. Nobody can be me better than me. And I think that's really what it comes down to us when it comes to this being distinct. Be who God called you to be. Here's the great thing. There's this story in the Bible where Jacob goes out and he starts digging up these wells that the Philistines thought they were dead long ago that Abraham had done. And he builds them up. And he, he goes and he unplugs the first one and there's water there. And the Philistines come over there and run him out of the way and say, no, 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 we need this. So then he goes to a second well Abraham had built and it was plugged up by the Philistines. He goes over there, he taps into it and boom, water starts gushing. So Philistines, no, 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 no. They go over there and they move him off. And the Bible says he goes to the third one, he taps into it and it has water. And because of the first two wells, the Philistines don't fight him over this last one, but he names the place something significant that I've always thought was really cool. He said, he names it, and it literally translated in English means, the Lord has made room for me. <clears throat> Can I tell you something? I, I told you, I'm, I'm fourth generation and third generation, but I'm not like my parents, and I'm not like my grandparents. In a lot of ways, listen to me. God has to make room for your anointing and your calling. There is a place, a significant place. Can I, can I be pastoral here? He hasn't asked for this in a, a bit. He, he hasn't asked anything. He hasn't told me anything about John. I don't know nothing about Wapiton. All I know is what I've learned in the last two hours of being here. <laughs> you want to know how you can assist him more than any other way? More, more than even giving, you need to be faithful in your giving. You need to do all of those things, but listen to me. You want to know how you find out what God's called you to do in this house of faith and do it with all of your heart and with all of your passion. If it's giving kids a snack for, for children's church, then do that with all of your heart. You see, we're all about, see, that passage of scripture we talked about the body. We're all about giving more glory to certain parts. And Paul says, we do that in nature, right? We give glory to the face or whatever, but he says it's the internal stuff, right? How many of you know the heart's pretty important, but you can't see it? Amen. But if it's not working, right? We, 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 bring, we bring glory to the wrong things. Listen to me. The church has messed this up because we've been into personalities. And I'm, I'm coming from you from the other side of the pulpit. We've been into personalities and we've been into giftings. Listen, what God really needs is your availability. If you will be available to do something for God in this church, God will bless your efforts, bless the man of God, and bless the church. God never gifted us to set on our giftings, but he gifted us so that we would share with everyone we came in contact with what God has done in our life. 
So we find that God called us to be distinct. And the, the last thing that we find, the scripture literally says, and the first day there was light, and the first day there was night. You know what that teaches us? It teaches us that there is a battle between light and darkness for what God is willing and wanting to accomplish in our life. You see, all of these cycles happen. You know what? All of these cycles happen in everybody's life. Can I share something with you? Drop some deep revelation. These things happen whether you love Jesus or don't love Jesus. Have you ever marveled in the secular world at somebody's talent and gifting? And have you ever thought, boy, if they could just use that for the Lord? You know, Hollywood is, is proof that you can have all the talent and gifting in the world and have all the money in the world and not have an ounce of peace and not even know where to find it. Can I share some stories with you? Two nights before Elvis passed away, he woke his wife up dead asleep at 4 a.m. in the morning. And this is what he said to her. He said, I feel like I have done nothing significant to leave behind. The king of rock and roll, a whole genre of music. His former mansion, they spend... million a year continuing to restore it so that it looks like it did when he passed away. And millions of people visited every year and yet he felt insignificant upon his death. The king of pop Michael Jackson, they said he spent his last days constantly trying to find a prescription that would allow the torment in his mind to cease. All the money, all the wealth, all the privilege. And he couldn't, something you and I can do regardless how much money we have, which is go to sleep. He could not do even with the help of I think it was something like 21 medications upon his death, which was basically, essentially what killed him. Just longing for one good night's sleep. You see, it's possible that God is trying to create a new situation in your life, but all you see it as is a difficulty. And if you're not there and you don't realize the reason for the difficulty, you can get depressed, oppressed, mad, angry. Have you ever seen somebody serve the Lord with zeal and then something not go their way and them give up and throw in the towel and walk away? You see, we could be judgmental there if we wanted to, but what it was was that God gave them a new challenge and they just weren't willing to accept it. I'm not here to tell you I've got everything that I've wanted because surely I have not. 
Could I, could I just have somebody come to the piano? Could, could, could you come? Just play. Normally I would tell you that me and my wife would sing, but she is battling bronchitis and so just wasn't able to. <clears throat> and during the season changes, as you notice, my throat just has a real struggle still yet. I'm still getting used. It is not this cold or snowing in West Virginia in November. We're a January snow kind of place. My mom, whom I loved very much and dearly, affectionately known as Mimi, not only to her own grandchildren, but to nieces and nephews. As a matter of fact, you'll find this funny, Pastor. His bishop's ability to send cards reminds me so much of my mom. She had a card gift she was diagnosed with breast cancer and then was in remission and then when it came back it was stage 4 bone cancer I literally traveled all over the country Duke Houston Roanoke Baltimore I think that's everywhere for different appointments, she, she had a world-renowned neurosurgeon operator on, on her in Duke. They literally took her spinal cord out of her body and off to the side and regrafted her spinal column and titanium so that she could live, they hoped at that point, without paralysis. And thank God that that, that, that was true. They told us with stage 4, you can live as long as 30 years with stage 4 cancer. It just depends on whether it shows itself up in internal organs. And in February of 2011, just three months after the birth of my son, I got the worst call there ever could be. It was in her brain. And they had told us three to six months if it showed up in internal organs that it's just a matter of keeping people comfortable more than anything else. In August, her pain got so severe that she had to go to hospice. This is a woman that I saw when she had six months of rehab after her back surgery. She was finally able to sit up and move. And they said, where do you want to go? And she said, is there a piano in this place? And I saw her in the Duke Chapel on the fifth floor get behind a piano. That's why I'm a worshiper. I can't help but be a worshiper. That's why I can't help but sing tenor harmony. Not that the two of y'all needed it. You're very gifted and talented. So if I bothered you, I'm sorry. part of my makeup. I'm a worshiper. It's what I do. And I watched her as there was frail voice from being six months literally on basically her back and her side. She didn't want to do anything else. Just get me to a piano. Just, just let me worship. Pain got so severe and I saw her go 
Six weeks in hospice, I was pastoring in the northern panhandle of West Virginia, about 20 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. My mom was about five hours away, and my wife will attest to this for six weeks. I traveled back from Beckley, West Virginia on Saturday night, preached Sunday morning, grabbed a sandwich or lunch. with my wife and son and drove straight back down there and spent every moment I could with. Three of those weeks, my wife and my son went with me. Got a call on Sunday after the pulpit and I, I just needed a rest and I said, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta chill for a couple of days and take care of just life. <laughs> Uh, some, some pastoral things. My church was fantastic. It was about halfway through that week. Got a call on Monday. You never want to get. Not going to be much longer. We hope she makes it for you to make the trip down. I, I can't get there tonight. I, I'll, I'll come as far as I can get tonight. <laughs> got some rest. Got up the next morning. Got there. On the way there, I released her. Hardest thing I've ever had to do to God. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. Up until that point, with faith, was with faith believing that God was going to do a miracle. She was so tiny, I literally held her in my arms like a baby, about 60 pounds. She couldn't communicate anymore. Got done holding her, walked outside. My sister came out not five minutes later with tears in her eyes. We walked into a service. She just had to know my mom. She was extremely organized. She already had who was going to preach and what songs were going to be sung. And I didn't even think about it. They were worship songs. I worshiped the Lord because... Come on, folks, we can't just worship Him when He does everything the way we want it and expect to have a relationship. I worshiped. It was so amazing to me afterwards. People said, how did you do that? I didn't think about it. How does a church survive 90 years? Do you know 1,400 churches a year and a month in America close? 1,400. We have denominations dying out. How does a church survive 90 years? Because it got everything it wanted? Because it never ever went through a deep, dark season. Because it never had people walk out on this pastor or any other pastor over the craziest, silliest stuff. Right? That's how it survived, right? My parents went through a bitter divorce as my dad as a pastor, which became very public, which became very hard for a 13, 14, and 15 year old. 
I sat as a 15 year old in the back of the church while my dad preached and I, I, I thought everybody had the opinion of just a few people in the church who liked to gossip and run the pastor down and disqualify him. And man, pastor, he would get up and just preach with passion. And I told one of my friends sitting at 15 who was a believer who hadn't given up on me, was praying for me because I was doing some things shouldn't have been doing. Looked at, looked at her and said, that man is a fool. If he knew what half of these people in this church thought about him, he'd just pick up his pieces, go work a secular job, and tell them forget it. I thought he was naive. Well, I didn't realize this. There's going to be times in your life where the people like you, love you, hate you, anywhere in between, doesn't matter. There are going to be times when you have to determine in your heart of hearts, you're going to be what God's called you to be regardless. And it wasn't that he didn't know what was going on. It was that he had enough wisdom to realize that it was 10% and not 90%. And he had enough wisdom to know that God had called him to do something and it wasn't determined upon whether people applauded him for it or not. He had to be who God called him to be. Can I tell you something this morning? There is a struggle for your life, for your anointing, for your gifting, for your calling. There is a struggle. There is good and there is bad. And when things don't go your way, don't give up. Just realize that sooner or later, God's going to show up again and recreate a new opportunity for you. The Spirit of God's going to move. God's going to give a word. And God's going to set you apart. Listen to me this morning. God's not finished with this church in Wapiton. He would not bring them 90 years to say, well, that's far enough. He doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't do things out of a sense of responsibility or even duty, but he does things out of relationship. If you continue to seek God, he will continue to move on your behalf. If you're able to this morning, will you stand with me? I'm going to give you a good old southern term. Something southern preachers say. I may not have been preaching to everybody, but thank God I was preaching to somebody this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. For the Holy Ghost in this place. I just feel like there might be just a number of people in this place. Maybe there's just one, maybe there's more than that. That just say, Pastor Wall, I'm just in this deep, dark place. And I really want out of it. I'm hurt, I'm broken, I'm frustrated, I'm... You know what, sometimes being mad can lead you to a place that's just so desolate. You're just angry. I've been there. Maybe, maybe you just have a burden for this church. I don't know what it is. I'm not come to embarrass anybody. That's why I'm hoping nobody's looking around just out of sincerity of the moment, but... I am going to ask you to make one little, one little small step of faith and then one bigger one. But if that's you with nobody looking around, you just say, Pastor Wall, I'm struggling. I'm, 
I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm, I'm broke, I, I don't know. I'm sick. While nobody's looking around, if you just raise your hand, just let me know, hey, P- Pastor Wall, that's me, man, I, I, I'm there. There are hands going up. Anybody else? I see those hands. Anybody else? There are more hands going up. Yes. Oh, that was a small step of faith. But here comes the big one. And it's not about me. I want the pastor. This is his house. I want he and his spouse. Anybody else he's appointed to work on the altars. I trust that completely. This is not about a guest speaker. This is about God. And a moment with God. But... I'm going to ask you to take one bigger step and I'm going to ask you to just step out from where you're seated. Just come make your way forward. And I or the pastor or somebody will pray with you. And hopefully bring you some hope this morning.